Happy New Year. You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm Jim Friend. Well, welcome, 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 everybody. It's a new year and a new decade. What are we going to call this decade? The Roaring Twenties? I think that one was taken. Well, I'm sure they'll come up with something. Well, welcome back, and thanks for downloading our podcast today. We're going to talk about donor stewardship today, and I'm going to play a panel conversation that took place back in November with some colleagues of mine, Michelle Brown, Nick Walsh, and Sean Trahan. Uh, But before we do that, most importantly, welcome back, and I hope you had a fantastic Christmas with your family and your friends. I hope you found some time to relax and to enjoy the season. 2019 was a great year for our podcast and for changing our world. We have a lot planned for 2020. In fact, next week, Tuesday, January 14th at 12 p.m. Eastern, we will be hosting a webinar on Catholic Schools Week, leveraging marketing, enrollment, and development strategies during Catholic Schools Week. And I have invited two fantastic panelists to join me for this conversation. Uh, First, Mr. Nick Regina. Nick is the new president of Melbourne Central Catholic High School. He just recently relocated down there from the Camden, Philadelphia area. Nick was the former deputy superintendent for enrollment management in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And before that, he was the director of Catholic schools in the Diocese of Camden. Nick has spoken literally all over the country around Catholic schools and enrollment and marketing and development for NCEA. Our second panelist is, we are excited to welcome back Mrs. Jennifer Trafelner. She is the director of communications and social media strategies for the Diocese of Palm Beach. Jennifer is also the former director of institutional advancement at John Carroll High School in Fort Pierce. Many of you will recall that we had Jennifer on our podcast last August, where she talked about data-driven strategies for enrollment management. It was a, a fantastic discussion, and she brings a tremendous amount of energy and experience. Jennifer is also a frequent speaker at NCEA and different Catholic school gatherings around the country. So these are two fantastic panelists. What makes these panels even more exciting and and interesting for the listener is when you get involved, right? And so I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll type in some questions, type in some comments, and bring your own experience to this discussion and pick their brains a little bit. These are two fantastic experts. I think there's a lot that can be learned, not only from these great panelists, but also from those who will attend this conversation. And so just encourage you to be a part of that conversation. You can register for this webinar by going to our website at advancingourchurch.com. You can click right on the homepage. We'll have a link that will take you over to the Changing Our World site where you can register for uh, this webinar. And so again, advancingourchurch.com, click on the link, take you over to Changing Our World site where you register for the webinar. It is Tuesday, January 14th at noon Eastern. So register today, and I hope that you'll join us for this great conversation. So let me ask you this question. What are you going to do differently in 2020 that's going to benefit your ministry or your programs or your parish? You know, right now, everyone is in this New Year's resolutions process, right? We, many of us look at this time of the new year to look at things a little differently, right? We want to try something different. Well, last year, U.S. News and World Report stated that 80% of the folks who make New Year's resolutions will not fulfill those New Year's resolutions. So let me ask you this question in response to that. What is the definition of insanity? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. What happens, I believe, to 80% of us, and I definitely fall into that 80% many years, 
is that we just go back to our old patterns. We go back to our old habits. And so as we look at this new year, at this new decade, we were coming off of the Feast of the Epiphany, which was just this past weekend. And we learned about the story of the Magi. And the Magi are following these signs and these symbols, and they're looking for the Christ child. And they go to Jerusalem, and they visit with Herod, and they have this conversation. And and Herod is, suddenly his eyes are open. Oh my goodness, the Savior has been born. The signs are all here. And when you get two diametrically opposing views on the same incredible joyous news, right? You get the Magi who then go to find the Christ child. They bring him gifts and they worship him. And then you have Herod who's feeling threatened, right? Oh my goodness, the Savior is here. He's going to take over my kingdom. He's going to take over everything. Uh, And he personally feels threatened. We know he had no reason to feel threatened. He should be rejoicing. He should be at the foot of the manger and, and, and worshiping the Christ child, celebrating the birth of the Christ. And so I think in our own offices, in our own strategies around the table, we sometimes we, we look at information that could potentially be good or potentially not be great. And so we have, to, we have to discern that, right? And we have to have those good, robust conversations at our staff tables. And so don't be afraid to try something new. Don't be afraid to follow that star. Look for new strategies. Look for new ways to tweak your annual appeal, tweak your major gift program, tweak your donor stewardship program. There's lots of wonderful ways that we've actually talked about on this podcast. So you can go back and look through those podcasts and and look at some of the wonderful experts who are bringing you new ideas. And don't hesitate to call us at Changing Our World. Send me an email at jim at advancingourchurch.com. Happy to talk with you about your parish strategy, your school strategy. Pick our brains a little bit. That's why we're here. And, and so I just want to thank you for being a loyal listener to this show. Uh, thank you for all of your retweets and all of your likes and the ways that you share our show and support our show throughout the year. And I just wish you all of God's blessings in this new year on your development program, on your parish mission, on your, on your missions uh, around the country. It's so great to be a part of this larger community that is advancing the mission of our church. And so with that said, today's program, again, is around donor stewardship. And we have invited Sean Trahan, who's a Senior Managing Director for Changing Our World. We've invited Nicholas Walsh, who's a Managing Director for Changing Our World. Nick, by the way, just recently was awarded Employee of the Year. Congratulations, Nick. We're all very proud and very happy for him. Uh, well-deserved, Nick. And uh, also, we've invited the fabulous Michelle Brown. Michelle is relatively new to her position. She's the new Chief Development Officer for the Independence Mission Schools in Philadelphia, a tremendous mission reaching out to Catholic schools in Center City, Philadelphia, that are under-resourced parishes and under-resourced families, uh, and they do such good work. So we're lucky to have Michelle on our panel. And so without further ado, here is our panel discussion around donor stewardship. Well, welcome, everybody. My name is Jim Friend. I am a managing director for Changing Our World and the host of the Advancing Our Church podcast. So I want to welcome you to Changing Our Worlds, Advancing Our Church podcast today. We are very excited to present to you uh, a panel discussion around donor stewardship. Uh, And it's a huge topic for us. If you haven't seen the numbers from Giving USA 2018, we know that uh, only 45% of donors are retained on an annual basis. And so as we close out 2019 and we start looking at our 2020 development plans, uh, it's important for us to think about how we're going to retain those donors into the new year. So I have assembled a terrific panel of experts today, and I'm going to introduce them uh, in just a moment. First of all, our agenda, we're going to move to slide two. Uh, our agenda, uh, we're, I'll provide some introductions. Uh, we will um, 
talk about some of the facts, kind of set the, the table or set the framework for our conversation. Why, why are we talking about this today and what, what is the importance uh, of this conversation? Uh, some of the facts that came from Giving USA 2019. And then actually item agenda three and four, they're gonna get switched. We're gonna go right into our questions for our panel discussion. And then we're gonna close out with some of the recommendations and some conversation around uh, the, the, convers the recommendations from Giving USA. So as you can see up on the panel there, um, again, I'm Jim Friend uh, with Changing Our World. I'd like to introduce to you Sean Trahan. She is a Senior Managing Director for Changing Our World. Sean? Thanks, Jim. My name is Sean Trahan, a Senior Managing Director uh, with Changing Our World, as Jim has stated. I've served as a development professional for the past 20 years, working in various sectors such as faith-based, higher ed, social service, among others. I uh, look forward to this session, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Sean. And I'd now like to introduce Nick Walsh. Nick is a managing director for Changing Our World. Thanks, Jim. Very happy to be on the podcast. Uh, been working uh, at Changing Our World for about seven years now, largely in the faith-based and education space. And uh, one of the clients I constantly talk about at the office is uh, right now I'm working with a federally appointed commission to raise $50 million for a national World War I memorial to be built in the nation's capital. So all very exciting and happy to be on here. Tremendous. Thanks, Nick. And last but not least, we'd like to uh, welcome Michelle Brown. Michelle is the Chief Development Officer for the Independence Mission Schools. And Michelle, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Thanks, Jim. Um, as Jim said, I am uh, the Chief Development Officer at Independence Mission Schools, where I um, am grateful to have actually just started this position uh, in the last two months. I have been in the development world for about 20 years, faith-based organizations, as well as behavioral health care. Uh, and then I moved to urban education and now urban faith-based education. So Independence Mission Schools is uh, in Philadelphia, and we are a network of 15 independent Catholic schools working to provide both faith-based Catholic education and academic, you know, rigorous academics for our students in, in areas of uh, great poverty. Fantastic. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, an extremely important mission, and uh, Philadelphia is a great town and, and certainly needs it. Just a couple little pieces of housekeeping for our attendees today. Uh, you'll see in the right-hand corner, there should be a question, an opportunity for you to type in questions or make comments. So we hope that this will be interactive uh, to a certain degree with you. And if you have a, an experience to share or a question that you'd like uh, to ask the panel, feel free to type that in anytime during our conversation and we'll do our best uh, to get to all of your questions. Also, uh, at the end of today, we will email out to all of you the slide deck that we're going to go through during our presentation and a link to the recording. We'll also be using this for our Advancing Our Church uh, podcast. So that will be available uh, over the next couple of weeks. So let's uh, move on to the next slide. Okay, Nick, why don't you go ahead and uh, take uh, the case of the 2018 Disappearing Donors. Sure. Thanks, Jim. You had mentioned, you had started to mention this earlier, but to build on what you were saying, we looked at some of the latest trends from Giving USA, and I'm sure some of them aren't surprising to many of you. They're they're a steady, or they're consistent with what we've been seeing in the last few years, but there has been a steady drop in overall donor retention in the last year. 
2% down to 45.5%. And in the same vein, uh, the total numbers of donors has dropped as well, uh, nearly 5%. So it just goes to show that donor retention now is more challenging, uh, but still more important than ever. And you can see that in the, in the penultimate bullet there, 19% of first-time donors are retained, while 63% of repeat donors are retained, which really goes to show that retaining donors, once they have made two or three gifts or beginning to give regularly, are much more retainable. And the focus needs to be on maintaining and building relationships with those donors once they have given to the organization. Those first-time donors are so key. And then finally, what we're seeing here is that it costs about five times the amount to acquire a new donor versus retaining a donor, which just goes to show that it's imperative to invest in so much of our fundraising and marketing efforts, finding ways to keep them engaged and understanding their interests and expectations right from the start. That's how you build sustainable ROI and builds long-term engagement and investment in the organization. Just some of the latest trends we've been seeing just to help start our conversation here. Thanks, Nick. Let's go to our next slide and we're going to move to questions for our panel. So our first question that we're going to ask the panel here is, how has stewardship evolved? You know, we all, we all know that the climate has changed, the economy has changed, uh, certainly fundraising continues to evolve. How has uh, your stewardship efforts evolved or how have you seen your, your client stewardship efforts evolve over the last few years? Jim, this is Sean. Just in my experience, and I think we can probably all agree with this, um, as you've stated, we know philanthropy, donor stewardship have certainly changed over the past several years. Donors today are certainly seeking transparency. They're seeking you know, inclusion. Um, they're seeking um, you know, ways in which their gift or their support has been impactful. Um, you know, these are some of the ways in which it has certainly impacted stewardship. Donors want to be told a story that is really relevant to their lives and uh, to see an opportunity that can create a tangible impact. In my day-to-day efforts, those are some of the ways in which I've certainly seen it changed. Great point. And I'll jump in here. This is Michelle. And, you know, I think it's also evolved prior to the gift as we're cultivating our prospects and our donors and we're looking at donor relations, people want to be engaged a lot more before making the gift, I think, than perhaps many years ago, um, where people were giving a little bit more out of obligation uh, and out of just affinity to a certain group. I think we have a lot more uh, need and desire for people to become engaged in some kind of way in an organization before they even make that commitment. So, you know, stewardship and donor relations is starting well before any gift is being made. I agree with that, Michelle. And and also, I think when you look at major gifts, certainly stewarding major gifts has has changed quite a bit. Donors today are certainly uh, much, ask many more penetrating questions, are much more savvy, require uh, a closer look at financial statements. And certainly in, you know, in today's climate, working in uh, Catholic organizations, as I have uh, most of my career, you know, the financial transparency is so critical to those who are seeking to make a major gift. Uh, and being really specific, I think it's the, the hardest dollars to raise probably are those unrestricted dollars, right? And so donors are looking that if you if they give to something that they're that we are honoring donor intent, and also they want to see a return on their investment. Just because I get a nice, I give you a nice annual fund gift this year, if it's a major gift, doesn't mean you're going to get it every single year unless you continue to show me that that gift is making a difference in the world uh, or in your, in your mission. And Jim, you know, I, I want to add on, on that with transparency. We'll talk a little bit later about technology, but I think in today's day and age of social media and technology and access, 
it is so important for organizations to be transparent because immediately the words that you speak and and the actions that you show will be amplified and announced to the rest of the world in a matter of seconds. So ensuring that, you know, we are being accountable to our our donors and to those gifts uh, and to the ways in which we're utilizing them and we're, you know, being truthful um, and and forthright with with the people giving them because in a moment's notice, um, you know, people can blast something online and in social media and so if we're, if we're not being transparent, that can really come back to, to bite us. Yeah, and, and look at the sheer volume of asks that donors get on an annual basis now. I mean, the number of nonprofits continues to rise every year. doesn't matter if you work in faith-based or, or other secular organizations. The number of requests that I get in the mailbox on a weekly basis continues to rise. I'm sure that's true of many of the folks who are listening today on, on the webinar. Um, you know, you have to continue to prove that Investing in your organization is going to make a difference and show them a, a straight line. Uh, I think that's so important. Anyone else? I think uh, Jim and Michelle, you've, you've brought up, both brought up really good points just about the impact of te- technology on donor stewardship. And I, I know we'll come back to this, but the way I think of it is the net attention of humans each day has become more limited and competitive. You know, the the amount sure. of information they're getting Uh being able to break through is more important now than ever, not just for an advertiser, but especially for nonprofits who are trying to appeal to folks. So whatever stewardship we, you're creating, you need to think, uh, what is the snackable version of of what we're trying to disseminate? What's the 30-second soundbite? Or, and to your point, Michelle, you need to be transparent, but you also need to um, – have a sharp message uh, that is getting right through to the donor, whether, you know, that it could be going from a longer newsletter or video into a short, you know, one paragraph or one sentence summary of how the impact that their gifts are having to keep them engaged. You bring up a really great point because, I mean, you know, when you thank a donor, maybe you should be thanking them also on different channels, right? Because some people will read that thank you letter carefully. Maybe they'll read that newsletter carefully, but some people just don't. Maybe you need more people using more short vignettes or videos on social media, like you're suggesting, Michelle, and, and other ways that you can um, you can thank donors and show the impact of, of your gift. Why don't we move to the next slide, the next question, um, kind of uh, relating to all this. How many times should you thank your donors each year? Well, I think everyone has made some great points, certainly, about gift acknowledgement. Um, you know, one of the things I'd like to point out about gift acknowledgement, and then I'll go specific to this question, uh, another way in which we can certainly consider a uh, personal touch is making phone calls to select donors, not just those donors who are giving significant gifts, but donors at some of the other levels as well. That's certainly one way to keep them engaged, welcome their feedback, and just show a level of interest from the organizational from the organization's perspective. But more specific to the question, how many times should you thank your donors each year? Um, you know, studies have certainly shown um, thanking donors within 48 hours um, certainly increases uh, the likelihood for them to give up to four times. Four times a gift, I don't think is uh, certainly uh, too much. One may say three times, some may say two times, just depending on uh, the different approaches one may choose to to, to utilize. Um, there's also studies out there, actually a blog that I actually read about um, how this actually, how gift acknowledgement certainly boosts uh, first year donor retention by 30%. 
you know, it's certainly very impactful for a donor, for the organization. We'll talk about donor retention here in a minute, but I certainly just in my experience, um, you know, three, four times is certainly not um, too much. No, certainly not. And I I think if anybody follows um, Amy Eisenstein at all, who has written numerous books and uh, on stewardship and on donor relations, uh, seven is her golden rule. So she, uh, and you can find on on her blogs and in her books where she gives examples of of what those seven touches are. And, you know, they, that includes just the text letter, you know, is a thank you, a call, um, a conversation when you're with a person. I mean, any opportunity that you have to say the words thank you is not an opportunity too many. Uh, in any com- communication that I have with my board members, I'm always ending my my email, my phone call with a thank you, you know, so much for your continued support or thank you for that last gift. Or there is always a thank you for for something. Uh, and I, you know, never, I, I really don't think there can be too many times that you are saying thank you in a different way. And I think it's important to thank people, uh, have the thank you come from a variety of people. You know, maybe it's a phone call again, um, as you stated, John, maybe it's from a high level, your executive director or from your pastor or from your principal. Um, maybe it is from a student or a parishioner or somebody else that's benefiting from your uh, from the gift. We do calls from student ambassadors uh, at one of the organizations that I work with. So train some students to, to make phone calls to, to donors during Thanksgiving time. So, uh, you know, most of the time it's just a message. People aren't necessarily home, but they're getting a nice message from a student and we give a number they can call back as well. And, and that seems to have been accepted uh, widely. So there's a variety of ways that we can say thank you. Um, and, and it, shake it up and have them hear from other people and feel really genuine. Bring up a lot of good points there, Michelle. Um, so at my, my kids, I went to Catholic elementary and middle school, and of course we give to their annual fund. And uh, last couple of years, they had the eighth graders call all the donors uh, with a thank you. And I didn't pick up the phone, but I got a nice voicemail from one of the eighth graders who we helped you know, with our gift uh, to the annual fund. Little, little things like that can make a, a huge difference. Uh, I worked for a pastor who, in his homily, and and at the end of the, sometimes just at the end of service, he would just thank donors for, um, you know, he would thank the parishioners. Thanks to your continued generosity, uh, we were able to do X, Y, or Z. We were able to renovate this room. We were able to provide services to, you know, the needy or poor in our community. I I don't think it has to be all that complicated, especially, you know, if we have any pastors uh, of uh, communities here listening today. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything complicated. It could just be a couple of comments that you make during your homily or at the end of mass. You know, uh, you don't always have to be making an ask. It, that uh, thank you goes a long way and continuing to show people how their money is making a difference in your mission. I think that's right. And even when you are just pointing out or reporting on something or if it is during mass or during an event or on social media when you're when you're pointing or in a newsletter to say, oh, this is the new program that we're doing, or this is a highlight, this is great, here's a graduation ceremony. By the way, this is all because of the gifts to the end, your, this year's annual fund, or thanks to, you know, Joe and uh, Sue Smith for making this possible. We could always point out that all of this is made possible because of somebody's generosity or because of your collective generosity. 
uh, and that can just keep re- reinforcing that impact right there with, with the donation. And also keeping in mind that the simple thank yous can just sort of be targeted. So it's just one-offs for one particular donor as a result of something that they've done. So just more personalized and um, just showing your gratitude for, the, for their support. I think just getting a thank you via email um, certainly shows that you've taken the time, you value their support, uh, and you value them just uh, in general. So I think that goes a long way as well. Terrific. Okay, let's move on to our our next uh, question here. Is there a difference between stewardship and donor relations? I will start. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'd like. I think there is, and I think um, having been out of faith-based organizations for a little bit of time, uh, most recently, and coming back in, it, it really is uh, much more. I think of a, a faith-based uh, dialogue and, and narrative to use the word stewardship when we're talking about. Uh, cultivating and thanking and and donor relations, when in my mind, um, donor relations is really the plan that you're creating for that donor and stewardship is really of the gift that they're making. So I have a, you know, so I have a donor and I'm going to create a plan around that donor or around a subset of donors on how I'm going to communicate on how I'm going to engage them. Um, and how I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make the ask and then how I'm going to follow up. And then when that donor makes a gift, how am I then going to steward that specific gift and that specific donor um, so that I can show them how it's being used? I can thank them, show them how it's being used, and then update them on that. So I really do see see a difference of that. And it's, it often seems like in this environment, it is really one and the same. Great example. Yeah, I would agree with Michelle that um, they are different. Um, I view stewardship um, that's more related to the gift, sort of um, all of those things that we have to do to ensure compliance, like, you know, the gift acknowledgments, the tax substantiation letters, the annual reports, sharing all of those things, I think, in my opinion, is related to more stewardship efforts. Donor relations, in my opinion, and in my experience, is just more of the outcome donor-based activities such as, you know, inviting them to meet with certain beneficiaries or inviting them to to other facilities, sending birthday cards or holiday cards or things of that nature. So that's the simplistic way, in my opinion, in which I distinguish the difference between the two. I was having a tough time thinking through this one, honestly, because when <laughs> I when I think of it, I think, you know, Michelle, you made a great point before. You're you're typically engaging a donor around seven times, let's say, once once they make a gift to the organization and following up with them throughout the year and cultivating them to the next gift. So to me, I like to always simplify things in my head. Once the once the person has made that that gift, it's all about how you manage that gift and store it and communicate uh, with the donor until you're ready to cultivate them uh, to the next leading up to their gift the following year. So it's about understanding their intentions and expectations from the outset, getting them, you know, their acknowledgement, getting them their appropriate tax related information, and then making sure that either way, the way I think about it, you're engaging them five to seven times throughout the year and consistently thanking them and communicating with them and making them feel appreciated and important. I've always tied the two together in my head because they all fall into those, those engagements throughout the year. But either way, you need to think, you need to treat them both, you know, very, very, uh, you know, importantly throughout the year. I just had a tough time struggling to distinguish between the two. Yeah, that makes sense. Good. 
Well, uh, listen, we just got a question in from our friend Dave DiNapoli from uh, Portland, Diocese of Portland. Dave asked this question. Have you seen any success engaging donors in volunteer opportunities within organizations? Have you seen any success engaging donors in volunteer opportunities within organizations? I'll, I'll start with that and then kick it out to you guys. So when I worked at the Faith in the Future Foundation and also in the Diocese of Allentown, I think one of the challenges when you work at a, at a higher level like that and you're not at a school or you're not at a parish, sometimes the challenge is connecting diocesan donors or donors at that higher level with the ministries. So I had some success in uh, engaging uh, some of, many of our donors in a strategic planning initiative that we used for the diocese. And so it gave me an opportunity to call those donors, to talk with those donors on a different level, you know, where before it was about the annual fund or it was about their next gift. But uh, our bishop uh, charged me with recruiting several different subcommittees that one focused on real estate, uh, another focused on some of the healthcare, religious freedom challenges that we had. And uh, and there were some others. So I, I was able to find donors who fit that profile, who may have skill sets in real estate or in law or in healthcare, and engage them on a different level and get them involved in some of these subcommittees. And I found that it really uh, solidified their engagement. They were already uh, donors to the Bishop's Annual Appeal. They're already very engaged with the diocese. But then when the bishop or someone engages their knowledge, their professionalism, their engages them at, at a different level in Catholic education, it, it just makes a huge difference. I also had a lot of success in helping our schools recruit board members and find folks who were interested in our mission, uh, who had a love for Catholic education. Uh, they may or may not have been an alum at, at a particular school, but maybe it was a rural school. They had a hard time recruiting a board. And uh, But I had a, a person who who was a professional who was just interested in Catholic education. I had a couple that weren't even from the area, but they said, yeah, I'll be on a board. I'd like to help. I believe in the mission of Catholic education. And so, you know, we got them involved. It doesn't cost me anything, just some time. Uh, it also, of course, requires some time in getting to know the schools. So if you're at that higher level of a diocese or you're at that higher level of a foundation where you're helping several schools, it's really incumbent upon you to get to know your schools, get to know the ministries that support you so that you can plug folks that come to you at the diocesan level into these various ministries. And we had a lot of success with that. It takes time, you know, if you're new in your position or, uh, you know, you, you, you're maybe new to the diocese, maybe that you're serving, take some time to get to know all those ministries. But certainly also, just as a, I'll close my thought here, but the, um, the Bishop's Annual Appeal, I know many of you, some of you folks who are on the, pod, on the podcast today uh, support Bishop's Annual Appeals or run Bishop's Annual Appeals. Typically, it's a laundry list of ministries that um, that are supported by a diocesan appeal. It's good to get to know each of those ministries, Get to, good to get to know each of their needs, so that when you have donors that kind of rise to the surface, maybe you can plug them into those uh, those needs that are supported by the Bishop's Annual Appeal. And it just kind of it personalizes it for them and brings the case for support alive. Anybody else have any uh, experience in engaging donors uh, in volunteer? Yeah, I um, I absolutely believe that engagement is the key to forming invested and you know retained donors. The caution on this is ensuring that you, like 
Jim noted, know what the needs are of the programs that are being supported, know what the capacity of those programs or of your organization is to manage those donors and those volunteers, because the last thing you want is a bad experience for a volunteer who has the best intentions and wants to be more involved. And you think, you know, we think it's a great idea and we maybe speak before we should and put them in the report should because we don't want to lose that excitement and momentum, but um, we're not, maybe don't have the capacity to really engage them like they expect or like we want. And then we all leave dissatisfied and they think we're a mess and, you know, it can, it can take a bad turn. So I think being right. very thoughtful in what is practical and what can be helpful, um, you know, creating opportunities to create them that end up more work for everybody than it's worth is also not, not worth it. I think it's what can be meaningful for the donor, what can be meaningful and productive for the organization. Do I have the capacity or does somebody have the capacity in this organization to manage that? And um, and set expectations. You know, this is what we can offer. This is how we'd love to have you involved. Um, and also treating volunteers in a way where they understand what the expectations and limitations are and ensuring you're checking in uh, with those programs and with that donor and, and making sure that that interaction is meaningful. Um, I think all of those things are really important, which is one of the reasons people, you know, we, we struggle to do volunteer programs often because they, they can be time consuming, um, but they truly are rewarding for that donor and helps them see the organization from a different light and, and really creates that engagement. But it can be small things. Um, you know, it can be, uh, helping make deliveries, uh, from one campus to another. It can be helping tutor students or helping them with their applications to high schools or college. Um, it can be, you know, event-based. There's so many ways that we can utilize volunteers, but making sure we have the capacity is uh, absolutely crucial to that. I think Michelle brings up a really good point about, you know, the amount of time that it can often take to, to create new volunteer opportunities. So I think it's so important uh, to think about how rather than creating new opportunities, sometimes thinking how you can incorporate it into your existing schedule. One thing we're starting to do more and more with the foundation we're working with and a Catholic foundation we're working with in Connecticut is uh, for board meetings now, we're looking at um, sites that Catholic Charities runs. Uh, so the board can meet, you know, in a conference room that day, but we can take an hour, like we did this earlier in the year, we took an hour out of their day to meet with the staff and that could easily be converted into a volunteer opportunity. It's just about tying it with an existing, you know, within their existing schedules. Cause in a lot of cases, if you're talking about board members, especially they're very busy people. Um, but it is so important. The end goal, like Michelle was saying, is to uh, make them more aware of the great work that your organization is doing and, and leave them feeling uh, reinvigorated about what they're supporting and what they're leading. So that's, you know, sometimes it's thinking about what are the baby steps we can take to getting them there rather than creating a new volunteer opportunity. How do you how do you use your existing uh, schedule or calendar and add and tack on things to that? So that's something that we've seen that's been successful. And I would also just caution that um, if you're creating a volunteer program that you work with whatever kind of human resources department that you have to ensure that volunteers, um, depending on the interactions they have with your clients, you know, that they are onboarded just as well as an employee would be, that there's clearances that they might need to have, that, you know, that everything is really um, documented well and 
and that everybody is set up for success uh, in the end and, and can feel like all eyes are dotted and T's are crossed. And, and when we consider large group activities, I think also making sure that they are um, helpful, you know, for the, the, your school might need its walls painted, but as I've encountered many times, well-meaning um, office of like accountants who want to come paint for an afternoon often lead to our maintenance people having to repaint those same hallways. So you know, what really <laughs> is the return the here and how <laughs> worth it is that? <laughs> That's a great point. You know, I, um, I've had a couple situations though, where I, I have, and, I, and Michelle, what you're saying about, you know, matching uh, the donor's interests and, and making sure it's a good experience for them is so critical. I had some experiences where we got them onto a, um, a startup board, right? And it depends on the organization, it depends on the school, if they're starting up a board, how ready they are for a board. And, you know, we, we had some we had some good experiences. We had some hits and misses along the way, but um, making sure that they're prepared for whatever they're going to walk into and that the school is prepared to receive them, so important with that. Well, Dave, I hope we uh, I hope we answered your question. Thanks so much for the great uh, question. If anybody else has other questions, feel free to, to type them in. We're going to go ahead and move on to the next slide now. So how do you know what keeps your donors engaged? Right. That's kind of dovetails a little bit on what we've been talking about. Ask them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk to them. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with just asking people what they want to do. I think trying to be like a detective and, uh, you know, for some of this stuff is like just not necessary. We can, you know, go online and research what, what they're involved in and what they like to do so we can maybe present them with things. But we should be building relationships that are genuine and authentic. And so having conversations about what what you enjoy, what is, wh what are you interested, and what do you want to see from us? What what is your expectation? Um, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Michelle more. Um, you know, I often think of the donor um, engagement cycle as you know certainly inspiring and recruiting them, but uh, as Michelle stated, learning about them is very important. Um, engaging them, volunteer activities. Um, based on our last question, um, asking them, couldn't agree with Michelle more, obviously, um, not only asking them what they think of the organization, what do they want to see, but also, of course, continuing to ask for increased increase contributions, thanking them, and also just continuing to demonstrate the impact of their support. Um, but yeah, I certainly think, you know, asking them, sending out surveys, seeking their their valuable feedback, I think, goes a long way. And data yeah. speaks. Right. So uh, totally. asking and having conversations, but also data and tracking that tracking. We know how tedious it is to track our conversations and track our meetings. I'm going to be the first to admit I'm like the worst at it. But um, it's so important to do that because then we can really look back and say, well, they said these things are important to them. Um, and now let me go back and see, like, did a gift increase? Have they given more times? Have I, and, and really be able to put, put the two of those together to come up with your plan of what you need to do moving forward. One of the, when I took over a development office, we had a major gift officer and we were rel both relatively new. We didn't know the donor base too well. We knew some of the folks, uh, but we put together a little survey and we sent her out into the field uh, just as a way of engagement, you know, to have a cup of coffee. Hey, we want to just sit down with you for, you know, half an hour and pick your brain on some things that are happening here. 
with our organization. And we got some great feedback and some great conversations about that. I'll also never forget, um, I worked with a bishop that uh, who was new to the diocese. He came in and he said to me, Jim, I know there's some folks here that I really need to get to know uh, who can really help us make a difference here in the diocese. And so I want you to set up just a series of of uh, lunches with us. And we just did that for several months and just some amazing things come out of those conversations where they had the, and you don't have to be a bishop, you can be the head of an organization, whether it's a principal or you can just be, you can be the development director, but just to have those conversations and you just never know where they're going to lead, uh, where people's interests truly lay. And, um, and it really, he did that at the beginning. It really set him up for the next you know, seven or eight years of his time uh, in the diocese to uh, to make a huge impact, learning firsthand from folks what they're interested in, what matters to them, and what some of the hot buttons were. I've, I mentioned that I just started um, at my current organization um, maybe five weeks ago now, and and really my last five weeks has been just meetings with board members and principals of our schools, some key volunteers. Frankly, I haven't even gotten to our major donors yet because I've been trying to get in, inside out. And what I, you know, it is invaluable what I'm learning about people's interests and um, just getting that historical context and getting the relationships down uh, is, is just, it's really important to take that time and not be rushed into, you know, needing to come right in and raise the money. Like we have to have the foundation for that and the relations for that and understand that it is going to be a marathon. We have our, our immediate needs that yes, we need to take care of, but for success in the end and retain donors, we have to invest our time in, in knowing who our donors are and building relationships. And, you know, there may be a, a head of school or a principal who's listening now and say, I, uh, I don't have a development director and there's I don't have the time. Well, just pick five people. Right. You know, you're, you're moving into uh, into the giving season. Are there three people this month that you could call and have a phone conversation with? Uh, are, there, are there is there one person a month that you could schedule to have coffee with? Maybe it's a board member. Maybe it's a major donor. Maybe it's just a parent who uh, is very involved, really to understand their perspective, uh, certainly at that head of school or head of the organization is so important. I know heads of schools are the busiest people in the building, but um, carving out that time uh, to spend with your donors, it, it just pays such dividends and means so much to them. Okay, why don't we move to the next slide? And our next question, what kinds of results do your donors wanna hear about and how do you share them? So when we talk about results, right? Uh, there are all kinds of results. Could be uh, how their money is impacting the mission, um, or how uh, to how the fundraising uh, gala went uh, last year, or the annual fund. Uh, what kind of results do you think your donors want to hear about, and how how do you guys share them? Jim, I think this is Sean. I think donors want to hear obviously success stories, which is probably the number one thing that comes to our mind. But also they want to see the number of lives impacted as a result of the, the support donors have contributed. As you've indicated, how funds are utilized. One thing that is not often reported is volunteer hours clocked. You know, that goes back to the other question about um, how to engage volunteers or recruiting volunteers. You know, I think showing the number of hours that volunteers allocate on an annual basis may certainly increase your volunteerism uh, for upcoming years. Um, so those are some of the things that I, you know, think of in terms of how to share them. 
obviously in today's technology, website content um, is probably the first thing that comes to mind. And, you know, social media posts, um, more common annual report, uh, something that we're starting to see more now, uh, impact reports. And then one other thing that I mentioned earlier, targeted emails uh, that's specific to that particular donor. Absolutely. Um, I'll just add to that. Ask them what they want to see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of results do they want to see? What is important to them? Um, in addition to, you know, written reports, you can send photo albums, um, you know, uh, if it's uh, people love to see pictures of kids. So um, as long as they have waivers, then we can send them photos, you know, of the things that are happening with their gifts. Say they gave technology for your computer lab, you know, pictures of students using the technology or a sample of one of the projects that they had done. We brought a foundation in who, who actually gave some funds for a, a laptop cart. And the students came in and presented the presentation that they did for their class using that technology. And they did it um, in, a, in a more brief format for the donors, which they really loved. Um, so any kind of interaction that you can have that shows the results that you're getting really is, is helpful. I think also conversations uh, with people other than the development folks, other than the CEO, maybe it's with a program director or program officer or a teacher or a leader of one of your committees at your parish, um, but people who are really on the ground doing the work, having some kind of conversation or meeting um, or interaction with that person uh, can also be very helpful. I think too, uh, donors love to hear about, and this may go especially toward major donors, but the, they love to hear about how their philanthropy has inspired other other giving and has brought on other uh, support across the organization. Mm -hmm. So it's just so important when you have future fundraising success to go back to the people who have already uh, stepped up and joined into the campaign or the annual fund or annual appeal, whatever it is, and just thank them and let them know how we're doing and thank them, especially for coming on to this project early or for being a part of something bigger, you know, so they feel like this, they're all in this together because they want to know that other people are joining on board, that they're not the only ones supporting it. You're not just going back to the old well. We, we're bringing new people on, participation's going up. And it's um, it's just so important to go go back and do that. And the only other point I wanted to make here is just whenever we're reporting on results, it's so important to make the language donor-centric. I know we hear that a lot, but it is important to have that, um, to underscore everything with that because of you type language um, to just even if it's the smallest one sentence handwritten note that you're attaching to a newsletter or or to a publication just saying thanks for making this possible um, that goes such a long way with donors because they feel like we remember you know them for making whatever you're sharing possible whether it's fundraising results or or impact results among your programs I think that's so true Nick right so if they hear that we're being successful the mission is moving forward there's more donors joining uh, the annual fund or the campaign or whatever it is you're running um, things are getting bigger and better and more people are being served they all want to be a part of that at the same time you have to balance that with saying yes but we still have all of these needs ahead of us and we need right. to continue continued support but uh, I think everybody wants to be on a winning team and know that you're being a good steward of their funds as well it's a great point okay let's move on to the next slide so uh, we're going to talk about technology. Uh, how can we use technology to enhance uh, stewardship for our donors? I think it's so important to 
optimize whatever digital fundraising tools your organization thinks it's capable of using because you need to show, especially for your longer term donors, that you're making an effort to make this easy for them um, and not make them go through all the channels. You know, they might have had to go through 10 or 20 years ago to, to make a gift. Um, so it's just really important. And, and to Michelle's point earlier, we need to make sure that this is what they want. You know, not everyone prefers to, to give through their phone or give through a, a web page. You know, we all know that there's, for example, in dioceses, there's lots of congregations where people uh, prefer giving, you know, um, in the way they did, um, you know, when they when they first joined the parish or the or the school or so forth. But um, it's just really just as a uh, theme overall, it's so important to make sure that you're making uh, the, the transactional process as easy as possible for them and, and remaining cognizant of their needs and expectations digitally. As it relates to sharing um, information uh, using technology tools, uh, to Nick's point, certainly we want to move toward the digital transformation, but it's certainly important to also keep the donor or, or meet the donor actually um, where they are. Um, you know, sometimes donors uh, may not always want to give electronically, although studies have shown that uh, that certainly helps sustain revenue for any organization. But the delivery of the information uh, utilizing, um, you know, digital transformation, uh, there's certainly various opportunities that exist that will certainly improve the seamlessness of uh, sharing this information, such as delivery of the reports and um, you know, just other uh, information that can be easily and securely uh, accessible. So certainly, um, you know, I think technology has certainly allowed organizations to uh, share this information and make it available uh, at our fingertips, but also keeping in mind that not every donor um, is technology savvy. So we have to keep in mind that as we work to transform or, or enhance our efforts, that we still have to meet uh, donors where they are. Yeah, I'd agree with with that and uh, with both of uh, what you've both said. Um, and I think when we look at uh, stewarding those gifts and relating to our donors, uh, when we think of meeting them where they are, we also can use technology to physically meet them where they are. If your donors are not local to you, or if you are, uh, you know, a principal without. Uh, any supported staff where you can use technology to communicate with your donors uh, in a way that is more informative and so personal, whether it's through um, you know, Skype or FaceTime or whether it's through uh, holding maybe more intimate conversations where you can have um, multiple three or four people on a web chat together and you could address some of maybe your uh, top donors or some of your board members. Um, on a specific topic, on your uh, new strategic plan, on some really good results that you have, you could have a little uh, chat uh, via FaceTime or or using Facebook video. Um, you could use uh, Instagram now. So it, it is knowing where your donors are coming from, what they're using, um, how they can feel like you are spending time with them, and that technology isn't pushing that uh, those relationships further apart, but that they're really bringing them together. Um, so really taking advantage of those virtual opportunities, virtual tours of your facilities, um, especially if they're new or if you need a new facility and you want to show people why you need that new facility, you could show them some of the things that we, you know, 
don't love to look at. Um, and you could do that virtually, um, virtual participation in events or meetings. If you uh, people can't come, you can give them opportunity to watch a meeting or watch something through a Facebook Live uh, or through uh, Skype or, or web webinar or web technology. And it, it is it is fairly simple. And this could be another way to engage volunteers. If you have somebody that is tech savvy or that uh, wants to participate in that way, they can help you come up with these ideas. They can help manage some of that, uh, take the video, uh, things like that. I couldn't agree more with them, Michelle. The case writes itself, you know, when you're able to use augmented or virtual reality to show a project that's being worked on, you can get it right to the donor without having to bring him or her to, you know, to the site to show it. And the only other area I wanted to point out of technology that I think constantly is is improving year by year is just data and screening um, tools where you can look at your database from a thousand foot lens and understand, you know, everyone needs to prioritize where their store, you know, certain stewardship practices are going, the more heavily personalized and, and uh, tailored strategies are focused. So, you know, every, every year, every couple of years, you should be looking at your overall database and screening it against um, publicly available wealth and philanthropic information. So, you know, because there's so many, um, you know, donors out there that could be easily laddered up to a major gift. It's just 20 years ago, we didn't have that kind of technology to do that. And it's only getting better the amount of census and publicly available information we have. So you should constantly be looking um, at that type of information and rescreening your donors so you know who to prioritize and ladder up to the next level. So a great example of uh, what I've seen a a school president using, I mean, and we think about social media, right? Social media is free. So many of these tools that we're talking about are free or or cost very little. Um, There's a president, the president of St. Hubert's High School out in Philadelphia, Lizanne Pando, some of our our guests uh, on today's podcast might know her. But uh, in chatting, I had breakfast once with Lizanne about a year ago, and, and she was telling me, she uses LinkedIn basically almost as a commercial for her for her high school and to let donors know what's happening at St. Hubert's High School for girls. And you'll see uh, if you're friends with Lizanne or connected with with Liz at Lizanne uh, on LinkedIn, a couple times a week she'll be with the girls. She'll take a picture of, of a gathering there. She'll take a picture of something that's happening with the board or something that's happening with a service project. And just just it's just a steady stream. She described it almost as like having your own television channel, right? That you can just continually pump out information. And, and that's probably more about donor relations and, and probably partially about stewardship. But uh, if you're not on LinkedIn, if there's one social media platform you need to join when you're looking to identify potential donors, uh, identify potential board members, uh, and just put the word out among the professional community, I, I would highly recommend that you consider getting on LinkedIn uh, and getting connected because um, you know, another example I've seen uh, some schools and some nonprofits do this is, again, you take your phone, you take a quick little video of yourself thanking your donor, and you email it to that person. Uh, they even have platforms now where you can do that. I don't want to advertise for anybody, but you can do that at a relatively inexpensive uh, cost, or you can go live on Facebook and let everybody know how the annual fund is doing and rally some support. But there's so many different ways in which now that the technology is free, it's accessible, and with a little bit of training and a little bit of uh, practice, you can really engage a whole lot of folks. I, I just want to echo that, Jim, because you can take one video and write one blurb and you can copy and paste it to multiple um, platforms and reach a, a variety of people. And LinkedIn has become um, something that I also use 
um, daily, and whether it is that I'm posting or reposting things about our organization or or um, finding, you know, if there's articles that are timely that relate to the mission that we have, sharing those and tying those together, um, it really is an invaluable tool to reach a different kind of community, um, especially if you are in Pennsylvania and you participate in the tax credit program that is all business related. So sure. getting getting on uh, LinkedIn and, and doing that can make those connections. Excellent. Uh, why don't we go to our, our last question? Uh, Luke, take us to our last question there. Um, real quick, uh, we're coming up on an hour here, so we're just going to touch on this one really quickly, and then we'll move to some of our closing points uh, from Giving USA. Uh, but recognition societies are something we couldn't end today without talking a little bit about the benefits of recognition societies, uh, how people are using them to leverage. I mean, typically when you have a recognition society, uh, one, it's to thank donors, but two, it's hopefully to leverage those recognition societies to to move donors up uh, in their in their giving, whether it be annually or to a campaign. Uh, so I'm just going to kind of jump out there with A, B, and C since we're pressed for time. Uh, but what are some of the benefits uh, and that you've seen with uh, giving societies, and how have you seen organizations leverage them? Jim, this is Sean. You know, just in my experience, um, I think it increases donor loyalty, and it certainly um, increases uh, lifetime donor uh, value. So uh, one, one thing that we did, um, one of the organizations that I served, we looked, um, they had the same uh, donor loyalty recognition society for many years, and it was a little bit outdated. And I had, uh, I, what I did is it, 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 it behooves you to kind of audit it maybe every three years just to make sure that uh, it is properly leveraging folks to the next level, if you will. So if you have a whole, if, you're, if your minimum threshold is $500 or if it's $1,000, how many people are above that and how many are below that? Does it behoove you to create a higher level one at $5,000 and try to push those who are at the $3,500 or $4,000 annual level up to five? Is there a benefit for them? Likewise, do you have a whole bunch of folks that are at the $500 or $750 annual level that if you push them up to 1,000, would you get a whole bunch more folks that would um, that would take advantage of that? I did both and. When I, I restructured our giving society, we, it was at $1,000. I actually lowered a level down to 500, which got a lot of my $300 people up to 500. And then I also created a, a higher level one, which was at the $5,000 level. And over time, we grew uh, that giving society uh, pretty significantly. So um, it makes sense if you inherited your giving societies. Maybe the first thing you want to do for an annual fund is do a little bit of an audit and take a look at the numbers and see if you couldn't get folks to migrate to a, a higher level uh, just by kind of adjusting maybe the benefits or the threshold. I think that's a great idea, Jim, and that's something that I'm doing right now, uh, being new to my organization. And we don't necessarily have recognition societies, but we do have leveled giving for a certain program that we have, and um, and it varies across the schools that I'm working with. So we're trying to align those um, and see, you know, how do we not alienate people that are giving at a lower level and have been doing so consistently, but how do we raise that bar so we can, um, you know, have some higher impact gifts um, the other thing I want to say is that I would not, um, I think we'd be remiss and we don't see this often, but if you are a very volunteer um, heavy organization that really including some kind of recognition for volunteers 
uh, is, is something to consider, whether it's, you know, based on hours given or, um, or just, you know, some ways that people are, are volunteering and how can you measure that so that you can really be recognizing people for their time and their talents as well as their treasures, which I think is important to all of us and all of our organizations. And I think people sometimes do feel uh, alienated in that way if they don't have the means to give uh, in financially, but they can give in their time and talent. Um, you know, perhaps they can they can be recognized that way because I think it's important to remember those are often the people that will come back when it is uh, time for planned giving conversations. Uh, they are not necessarily people who are giving in those high levels uh, now, but they might be able to give if they've been engaged for a very long time and you've stewarded their gifts well. That those those conversations can be had, and certainly that's where uh, some kind of a legacy uh, level is is a good idea too. Great point on volunteerism, absolutely. Okay, why don't we, uh, we're gonna move to our last couple slides here. Uh, Sean, you're gonna take us through the next couple slides on uh, 2019 Giving USA kind of high level recommendations. Thanks, Jen. Uh, we all know not only from certainly today's conversation, but from our experiences as well, that the number of donors have decreased over the past several years. I think each of us can certainly identify a number of reasons why our organizations are seeing a decrease, but that's not really uh, what we're here to talk about today. Certainly as development professionals, we are always optimistic and seeking approaches that will aid in increasing our number of donors and also our bottom line slash our revenue. Um, Given USA has outlined three ideas um, related to donor stewardship that we all should keep in mind. One, focusing on data health, quality of data. We all know that effective donor data management help boost our fundraising efforts. Um, you know, in simplistic terms, uh, removing duplicates, which require so much time, of course, uh, removing the deceased, um, removing outdated addresses. All of these things certainly require time, but are very important to improving the quality of our data, which can certainly lead to a more effective fundraising uh, operation. Going to the next slide, um, idea two that Giving USA is offering, uh, committing to new donor retention. Uh, throughout this webinar, we've identified approaches that will help increase donor retention rates. Uh, we all know that there's a great deal of untapped philanthropic support out there, and many donors are looking for ways to, um, you know, increase their support, um, attract or, or engage uh, new organizations, and, of course, uh, not only increase their volunteerism when they have time, because, of course, the best volunteers always say, I don't have time. But those who uh, are interested in making a difference, certainly uh, retaining them, not only increasing their support, but also uh, increasing their volunteerism uh, will certainly impact our revenue as well. The third idea here is sustaining giving programs. Nick touched on this earlier about, you know, giving through technology. Uh, we all know that's the way in which our world is going today. The nonprofit Times had a publication some time ago on growing and improving your sustainer program. The article that I read went on to talk about how we as consumers are increasingly making automated gifts. I know personally when I give to my church, I give, um, you know, through uh, online portals. When I give to my alma mater, I give through online portals. So we know that's the way when we pay our bills, we're, we're giving that way as well. So we know that's the, the way in which we are actually going, we're, how we're managing our lives. And we should also um, 
think about it in terms of our daily efforts in our own profession. So as fundraisers offering donors the same convenience uh, will go, uh, will, will certainly have an impact. Statistics have shown that automated giving yields a more predictable revenue stream. Um, so organizations should consider not only monthly, quarterly, or whatever works for you, uh, for donors as well as non-donors. I'm not going to be very lengthy here uh, because I know Michelle has to speak, but moving on to the next slide. Um, just real quick here, um, as it relates to uh, studies have shown that that costs uh, things to retain your donor certainly cost less um, as opposed to attracting new ones. So as we continue our fundraising efforts, we certainly uh, want to keep in mind that it's very important to make it a priority to ensure that our approach, and we talked about this earlier as well, is certainly transparent, that it's inclusive, and that it also demonstrates the impact. Those are three key components that we certainly want to keep in mind. While we all know that donor acquisition is certainly important, uh, donor retention um, should be our primary focus. Um, that said, I'll turn it over to Michelle. Thank you. Uh, and yes, moving into the slide that we're on now, talk about costing less to retain and motivate existing donors. And actually just last night, I saw a different uh, statistic that says that on average, uh, recurring donors give 42% more over the course of one year than a one-time donor. So it's important that we know that we should go back to those donors. We shouldn't just really settle for, oh, this is their annual gift and that's what they do. If there are things that we are working on that they are interested in, capital campaigns, a special programmatic campaign, uh, we should be going back to those donors because they will give more if we ask and we continue to steward uh, correctly. So we, we really should not be afraid of that. Uh, and, and a lot of the things here in terms of retaining donors are ones that we, we really covered through most of this and that in being transparent, like we discussed in the beginning, let your donors know that you're spending your do their dollars wise and that you're stewarding them well. Um, doing things to welcome in new donors to, to retain them over a year over year, creating packets so they have the information, um, giving them tours, showing them the information they need to make an informed decision, making sure we're sending acknowledgement letters on time. Um, and that we're putting the focus on the donor and being donor centric, like we spoke about earlier, too. Um, and I think also making sure we're paying attention to who the letters are coming from. Um, and is that something that makes sense and is meaningful to to our uh, donors? And on the next slide is just a few other uh, tips that came from Giving USA. Um, for schools, not overlooking opportunities where you can bring in students and faculty. We, we discussed earlier students making phone calls. Um, students can write handwritten notes. And we had um, an event last week and it was a donor um, thank you event. And I just kind of, uh, I came into this once it was already planned and I didn't feel like there was, we weren't having students there. So in lieu of having students there, um, we just asked one of our classes if they could make, it was called a Grateful Hearts event. And so we had students make these little hearts and just said, I'm grateful for my school because, and on the other side, the students wrote, you know, a little note. And that little thing that cost nothing and, you know, took really no time from that, from that student's day, um, we scattered them around and people went home with them. And they, they, they're still speaking about how much that note, uh, uh, impacted them. So it doesn't take a whole lot to have that student uh, or, you know, recipient of your program touch make a difference. Uh, and my favorite, stop guessing and start listening. Just ask, ask, ask. Track with data. 
um, see who's liking you, send surveys out, read the responses. Um, and finally, if you have alumni at your schools, look at those alumni chapters um, and really kind of the discussion of volunteers. What is the return on, on that effort, on that time and effort? What capacity do you have to engage your alumni chapter, chapters? Do you have volunteers that can manage that? Um, and, and how do you bring them in so they can feel like they're a part of it and engaged, but it's not um, taking over your time with, with not a lot of return? And I think at that, we maybe, I don't know that we have time for questions, but I, but I hope if there are, we do. So Jim, back to you. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Um, if there are any other questions, uh, feel free to go ahead and type them in. Um, or what do you do when donors start pulling away? Oh, maybe we should take this to Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Donors would never pull it. No, I'm kidding. Um, anybody have anything uh, off, off the top of their head? When do you, what I do you do? call them. I mean, call them. Yeah. And, yep. and have a conversation and, and thank them and thank them again. And just, you know, maybe get some advice on, on how, you know, ask them how they're feeling about your organization. Um, tell them your plans for where you're going, ask for some of their feedback and just listen. I, I would agree with that. I think sometimes we have this, um, that the, the human tendency is to run away, but we have to kind of run towards from towards criticism at times and hear mm -hmm. those have those tough conversations. And certainly, uh, if you're working in the Catholic Church, you can't avoid you know some tough conversations about some of the climate that we have to deal with today. And I think we have to have those conversations with folks. People need to be heard uh, and and know that their input is valuable and that it can make a difference in your organization. And like just knowing when to say when, right? So listen and have the conversation and give what you can in terms of like combating maybe some misperceptions or alleviating some worries or fears, but recognizing when you've given the information you can give. And now it's really, it's it's up to them to kind of think and make the, make the decision and not really, and not push it. I completely agree. I, I think it's to Michelle and your point, Jim, it's always about listening. And even before they start to pull away, Whenever you're going into a meeting with a donor, even if you you've every intention of if it's a if it's a solicitation or so forth, you got to make sure that you're as you're giving them an update on how the organization is doing, you're constantly stopping and listening to them and hearing their feedback because donor expectations can range so widely, and you never know when there's an underlying concern that isn't being addressed, and it's very easy for that to be overlooked when you're not stopping and hearing what they have to say, even if you have a, a very robust agenda plan for your meeting. So. It's just so important to stop and hear from them in every type of meeting, whatever the intent of the meeting is. Okay, great responses. Hopefully that answered your question, gave you a few ideas, Lauren. Thanks for, for your great question. I will just close up by thanking Sean, Nick, and Michelle for being on our panel today. I thought this was a great conversation. Um, I think when we first pulled this together, you know, we might have been scratching our heads, but then we kind of really dug into it and realized there's just so much here. But I think it's it's amazing we've gone past an hour here and probably could go uh, for another hour, but um, we want to thank all of you for being on our, our show today as well, all of our attendees. Uh, again, we are part of Changing Our World. Uh, we've been, we are a philanthropic consulting company that's been around for 20 years. We both work both with uh, for-profit companies and nonprofit companies all over the country. Uh, probably the biggest piece of our work has been in the faith-based uh, effort and specifically Catholic organizations. So uh, if we can advise you in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. This is also part of the Advancing Our Church podcast. It's a weekly podcast that I host on Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. Uh, we have different professionals and folks that come up uh, every week. Every Monday, we release a new podcast. 
Um, and uh, you can find us at advancingourchurch.com or you can visit, visit us at changingourworld.com and click on podcast. Uh, anyone have any other closing comments before we sign off? No, let's all connect on LinkedIn, though. Find us so we can share best practices. <laughs> Great idea. And I know that uh, we're going to be posting on Facebook kind of to continue this conversation. So check out Changing Our World's Facebook page uh, for follow-up posts, and we can continue the dialogue uh, on social media. Again, thanks to everybody for being here today. Uh, have a terrific week. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jim. God bless. I want to thank Nick, Sean, and Michelle for being on our show today. If you'd like more information about our show, you can visit us at advancingourchurch.com. If you'd like to view this webinar, you can actually go to changingourworld.com. You can click on uh, Thought Leadership and scroll down and you'll find uh, this donor stewardship webinar if you'd like to watch the video version of the show. But thanks again to our panelists. It was a great conversation and thanks for being on our show. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team and to Pottery Studios for their support of our show. If you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for the past 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, have a great week, everybody. Have a terrific year. Take care. And God bless.